right, Psalms 51. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's pray. Father, bless your word now. Speak to our hearts. I pray from this great, great word of our Bible tonight. God, may you help us to understand or maybe just be reminded of some great truths that are associated with this good Bible word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think back to uh, the last few weeks, then you may recall that in our Sunday, or our Wednesday evening services, as we finish out the year, I told you, we'd be just doing some word studies in the, in the Word of God. We'll take a word and follow it through the Bible and see the truths that are associated and presented around that one word. And uh, thus far, in all these messages that I preached, we've considered the word uh, such, and we talked about the word such, and then we talked about his sister. Her name was Much. And we talked about old, old brother such and old sister such, uh, much. And we talked about those words as they appear in the Bible. More recently, we've talked about the word never. And a brother Shannon sang about that a moment ago. There are some great truths associated with the word never in the Bible. Then last week, we took the word nothing. And we followed that word nothing through the Bible. And again, there were some great truths presented to us in the Bible, in the Word of God, that are associated with the word nothing. Nothing. Remember some of these? You brought nothing into this world, and it's certain you can carry nothing out. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And the Bible said, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then we had that very sad one that said this, if the salt have lost its savor, it is then, savor, not savior, savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing. You know, God sure makes a big deal about nothing in the Bible. Well, tonight we're going to take up a different word and kind of just follow it around for just a little bit. And the word I want us to look at tonight is the word behold. The word behold. Now again, just so we're all on the same page here, let me give you a definition of the word behold. So if you were to go home and get your Webster's Dictionary out, the word behold simply means this, to draw one's attention. Or it means this, to gaze upon or to see or to perceive through sight or comprehension. Or it means this, to give careful consideration to behold, behold. And then here are some synonyms for the word behold. The word behold means to consider. It means to note or to observe or to regard or to see. And then it said this in my thesaurus. It said this, behold means to feast your eyes upon. That's right. The word is the word behold. So as we use this word tonight, we are considering, we are observing, we are regarding, we are noting, we are seeing, we are feasting our eyes upon some great truths that are associated with the word behold. Now I got to tell you something, uh, just like we saw with nothing and never and such and much, boy there are some good, good Bible truths that are associated with the word behold. So tonight I want to preach on this thought right here, the seven beholds of the Bible. The seven beholds of the Bible. Now the first one, I had you to open your Bible to Psalms chapter 51. And here, now watch this before you, I know you're already looking for it. I know you are. I wished you wouldn't, but I know you are looking for it right now. But I want you to look this way for just a minute. Let me tell you this. The first behold that we're going to consider tonight does this. It takes away my pride. It takes away 
my pride. You know, all of us, the one thing that's true about all of us in here tonight is we have a tendency to be a little proud of ourselves. Now, don't, I, you know, I, I don't want you to get mad at me, but you know something, I, we all have that built-in pride about us. You know, when you go buy a new car and they put those stickers in the window, normally on one side it has standard equipment. On the other side, it has the optional equipment. And that's where they get you at, all that optional equipment over there. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if you look on that standard side, you think, man, I can afford this car right here. I really can. But then when they get through adding all of this stuff in over here, then you think, ain't no way I can afford this car because of all the optional equipment. Well, let me tell you something that comes standard with every baby that's born into this world, and that is something called pride. We all have a little bit of a tendency to have a little pride about ourselves. Now, when it comes to people getting saved, when it comes to people knowing Jesus, there are two problems that we have with pride. There are two groups of people. When it comes to getting people saved, there are two groups of people. Number one, there is the group of people that thinks Jesus is too good for them. You ever talk to anybody like that? People who think that Jesus is too good for them? Oh, they say, oh, you know, I would be saved, but you know Jesus is perfect, and I'm not perfect, and he was so good, and I'm not good, and, and I don't want to be a hypocrite about it. There ain't no way I can live up to the life of Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus is just too good for me, so I might as well just forget the whole thing. And can I say this? I agree with all of that kind of reasoning. He is too good for There's no way we can live up to his standards, but you've got to understand this, that once we accept him, the Bible said we become the children of God. And when we become the children of God, God gives us the power to become the children of God. John 1 and verse number 12. And so the truth of the matter is, you're right. We can't live it. Jesus is too good for us. But aren't you glad the very moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us and enables us and empowers us not to live perfect, but at least to live in a way differently than we used to live. Can I have an amen? So there is that crowd of people that said, no, 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 Jesus is too good for me. But then look at this. There's another crowd that says this. I'm too good for Jesus. And what that simply means is this. There's a lot of people out here in this old world that because of their pride, they think they don't need Jesus. You know, they think people that need Jesus are people, you know, that rides with the hell's angels or has a prison record this long or uh, people that's hooked on drugs or uh, alcohol or, or ladies who walk down on the red light district downtown. I mean, that's their idea of the people who need Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs the Lord. I remember years ago hearing an old preacher say this right here. He said so many people are trying to strut their way into heaven thinking they're too good to be damned. Can I tell you something, friend? None of us are good enough to get to heaven on our own. You can't live a good enough life. You can't be raised in enough churches. You can't, uh, you know, uh, you may have never gone off into what we would call deep sin, and people like that think, well, I've been brought up in a good family. I haven't been out into deep sin. Uh, I've gone to church all my life. But I just want to say tonight, ladies and gentlemen, everybody needs Jesus. And the first behold destroys our Pride. Let me read it to you now. Psalms 51, look at verse 5. The very first word is the word what? Now, that simply means to, to consider, to note, to regard, to feast your eyes upon this. What's that verse say? Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Now, what, I, what that first behold absolutely destroys every bit of our pride. You know what this verse is really speaking to us about? It's speaking about the depravity of man. You know, now, David in this text is not talking about the condition of his mother when he was born. In other words, he's not saying, boy, my mama messed up and got pregnant out of wedlock and, and boy, in, in a bunch of sin, I was born into this world. That's not what he's saying about. I, I did this. and Just humor me for just a second, but I did this. You know, we know, the, we know what Jesse's daddy's name, uh, David's daddy's name was with pinpoint accuracy. We know his daddy's name was Jesse. We also know that David had a mama. Everybody's got to have a mama. Can I have an amen? And uh, he had a mama. But you know, not one time in our whole Bible is the name of David's mother mentioned not one time. Not one time. Now, we know that her and Jesse had eight boys. They had two girls. And uh, we know that uh, Jesse was a good man. You know, he was born of Obed. Let's see. Let's see. Boaz began to raise And uh, Obed. And, and, and uh, Obed was his grandpa. And then Jesse came. And then David came. And we know, we know much about Jesse. We know nothing about David's mother with the exception of one verse. Here's what the Bible said about David's mother. In Psalms 86, verse 16, it says this. Turn unto me. This is David now. Turn unto me. He must be in trouble. Turn unto me. Have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Now, if I read that verse correctly, what David is saying is, my mama is a servant of God. My mama is a handmaid of the Lord. My mama tries to live for God. So I said all that to say this. David is not saying, boy, my mama messed up and brought me into this world, got pregnant by another man, and we're in a real mess. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he is talking about in this text is this. Every last one of us, when we were born into this world, we were born in iniquity, and we were shapen in sin. You know what that means? We all have a sinful nature. And ladies and gentlemen, we're all born sinners in this world. And the fact of the matter is we can't get into heaven until something's done about our sin, and everybody needs to have something done about their sin. He's simply saying, behold, boy, I'll tell you, that first behold gets us into a lot of trouble because we understand we're all sinners. It destroys our pride. Can I tell you something? I know, I get it, I'm like you. I realize there are people that have gone deeper in sin than others have. You know, there are those people, man, I mean, they waded way out into the ocean of sin. I mean, they got up. I'm talking to their chin in it. I mean, it's terrible. They went way out there. It almost destroyed their life. I get that. Then there are others that kind of waded around in sin, but they only got ankle deep. But now look at me. It doesn't matter because we're all in the ocean of sin. We may not have all sank to equal depths in the mire, but we're all in the pit. Every last one of us. Listen, Jesus is not too good for us. And hear me and hear me well. You're not too good. I'm not too good for Jesus. Can I have an amen? Everybody needs Jesus. That first behold, I'm telling you, it takes away my pride. Oh, I'm in a mess. How many of y'all in a mess? I am in a real mess. I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's teaching us about the depravity, the fallen nature of man. That's the first behold. But now I want us to move to another behold, all right? Because this that, that behold takes away all my pride. This behold takes away all my excuses. Now, wait a minute before we put this verse up here. But I'm telling you, you know, when some people, when they become aware of their lost condition, 
their depraved condition, many times they start making excuses as to why they can't get saved. There's a behold for that. Let me read it to you now. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, what's the first word? Behold. Watch this. See, consider, regard, take note. Feast your eyes upon this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, buddy, I'll tell you, with that one behold, we come to understand that God comes to us in our lost condition. I mean, here we are in Psalms 51.5 in a mess. We're born in sin. We're shapen in iniquity. But thank God for the Revelation 3.20, behold, which tells us there's a God in heaven that don't want us to die like that. And he comes to us. Can I say it like this? Jesus comes to us. Jesus calls for us because Jesus cares about us. Can I say that one more time? This just in, thank you, Jesus comes to us. And Jesus calls for us because Jesus cares about us. Look at this, that verse. Look at it up on the screen. Notice the picture of Jesus. You know, it's amazing to me that, that, that after all that we have done, how, how far out we've gone in sin, it's amazing to me that God would even want anything to do with us to start with. But isn't it amazing that God comes to where we are seeking us, looking for us. God takes the initiative. God took the first. If you're saved tonight, it's not because you and I were looking for him. We were no more looking for God than a thief's looking for a police officer. We weren't looking for God, but thank God, God came looking for us. He took the initiative, and there he stands. Knocking at the door of our heart, the picture of Jesus. But did you notice the patience of Jesus? The Bible said he, he, uh, he, he knocks, and I'm told the tense of that verb means he, uh, he keeps on knocking. I didn't get saved the first time he knocked. I don't know how you were. Maybe you did. But it took several knocks for me to get saved. But I'm so glad he didn't quit knocking. I'm glad he kept on knocking, and he kept on knocking until finally I opened the door and said, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. The patience of Jesus. But then what about this, the promise of Jesus? That verse teaches us that if we hear his voice and we open the door, what's he do? He will what? He'll come in. And then notice this. Sup with us and we with him. I'm telling you when he comes in, we have fellowship on earth and we have a future in eternity. All because of Jesus. Now I have no excuses. I know I'm a sinner, Psalm 51, 5. I was shaping in sin and iniquity. My mother could say, I'm a sinner. I messed up. There goes all my pride. But thank God there's a, there's a, there's a behold in Revelation 3.20 that teaches me, teaches me there's a God that came looking where I was and he knocked upon the door of my heart. Now I have no more excuses. Took away all my excuses. Can I have an amen? But it gets better. Because there's a behold that took away my pride. There's a behold that took away my excuses. But now here's a good behold. This behold takes away my sin. Now watch this. We know we have a lot of, about the life of Christ from the time he was born up until the time he was two years old. I mean, we know about the wise men, the angels, shepherds. We, we understand those first two years. We've got a lot of information about those first two years. But then Jesus just walks off the scene of the Bible. And we don't see him again until he's 30 years old. 
There's 28 years called the so-called silent years in the life of Christ. We have absolutely no idea what happened in his life with the exception of one little look into his life at the age of 12 in Luke chapter 2. Other than that, we know nothing about those 28 years of so-called silence in his life. But then at the age of 30, Jesus steps out onto the, onto the platform, onto the stage of humanity, and the very first thing that he does as he begins to present himself to the world as the Savior is he gets baptized. You remember the story? He got baptized. That's the first act of Jesus uh, when he stepped out to announce his Messiahship. He had to walk, so I understand, some 60 miles to get to the place where old John was baptizing in the Jordan River. Now watch this. There stands old John. He's baptizing those converts, those people that have repented and are, and, and are standing waiting and re, uh, standing there waiting and ready uh, to, to receive the Messiah when the Messiah comes. They've repented of their sins. They, they want to get right with God there. He's baptizing that crowd. They're sloshing water everywhere. And about that time, Jesus walks up. Jesus walks up. John's back. And something down deep on the inside of old John just swells up. And here's what he said about it. Behold, regard, see, note, feast your eyes upon this. Behold what? The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Boy, boy, I was in a mess in Psalm 51 with that behold. I tell you, I lost every excuse I could offer up in that Revelation 3.20 behold. But now i got a good behold that tells me, thank God my sins have been taken away by the Lamb of God. I'm reminded back in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement that that high priest, they would bring two goats to the high priest. And that first goat they would take and they would kill that first goat and offer its blood up as a sacrifice. But then the priest would lay his hands on the head of that other goat. And that goat became known as the scapegoat. And literally what he was doing was transferring all the guilt of the sin of the nation of Israel onto the head of that last goat. And then a, a person called a fit man. F-I-T-M-A-N. A fit man would come and take that old goat and take him out in the wilderness and just leave him out there and they'd never see him again. And he was known as the scapegoat. He bore the sins of the people, wept the wilderness, and he was never heard or seen again. Can I tell you something? Bless your heart. When Jesus became the Lamb of God and marched up Calvary's hill and shed his precious blood, when you and I accepted him as our Savior, our sin is now gone. Took away my sin. Isn't that wonderful? So I've lost my pride. I've lost my excuses. But thank God because of Jesus, I've lost my sins. Amen. But then there's another behold in our Bible, and that's over, well, I'm not even going to quote it to you this, but here, here's what this one does. It takes away my past. How many of y'all had a past? How many of y'all had a bad past? How many of y'all had a, know somebody who had a better past than you did? Now, don't point to them, but I'm just saying, how many of y'all know somebody in here that had a better past? Yeah, that's a good word, ain't it? A better past? Uh, a past, but we all had a past, don't we? We all do. Old J. Vernon McGee used to say, if you knew me before I got saved like I knew me, you wouldn't want to come hear me preach. And if I knew you like you know you before you got saved, I wouldn't want you to come hear me preach. We all got a past, don't we? But aren't you glad when we receive the Lamb of God as our Savior and He takes away our sin, He also takes away our past? You say, preacher, where are you getting that? Oh, it's a good word. Look at this one right here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. 
Consider, see, regard, note, feast your eyes upon this. Old things are passed away. And what? All things become new. Well, aren't you glad we serve a Savior that can change our life and change our desires? As somebody used to say, boy, I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah that didn't cause you to hate what you used to love and to love what you used to hate. Aren't you glad God changed your life? I tell you, bless your heart, I had no, I had no desire whatsoever to be a preacher much less a Christian when I was growing up. When I got 16 years old, the Lord saved me. When I became 16 years old, I got saved. And it wasn't two years later the Lord called me to preach. If you would have told me that I would have ever been a preacher, I would have said, I wanted to drive a truck, man. I had my whole life mapped out. I wanted to drive a truck. Uh, you know, Will and Sonny was coming on TV back in those days and uh, uh, moving on and trucking programs. You know that, Brother, it, uh, brother Buddy. And the smell of diesel, man, sometimes I can, I can smell it now and it almost causes me to back slide. I mean, man, I just wanted to drive a truck. That's what I wanted to do. Put me one of them vests on, one of them cat hats, and be a truck driver. That's what I want to do with my life. God had other plans for me. And I'm glad when he saved me, God changed my life. And I haven't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I can tell you this. The things that I used to love, I now hate. And the things I used to hate, I now love. You say, preacher, what happened? God made all things new. God took away my past. Amen. So now my, my pride is gone. My excuses are gone. My sin is gone. My past is gone. But now I've got another behold that does this. It takes away my doubts. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people, and I say a lot of people, a lot of us, once we get saved, we wrestle with the doubt of being saved. One of the things the devil hounds a lot of God's people with is the doubt of being saved. Many of you sitting in this room, especially early on in your Christian life, man, you know the torment of heart that you used to have because you was, just wasn't quite sure that you were saved. And here, here was my problem because I really wrestled with that before I got saved. Uh, not, I mean, after I got saved. I really wrestled with whether I'd done it right or not. And, uh, and it really bothered me. And here was my problem. I'd go to church and people would stand up and testify and they really meant well by it. But they would stand up and testify and somebody said, man, I got saved. I just remember I couldn't stop crying. I was just so happy I got saved. I cried and cried and cried. And I thought, you know, I didn't cry when I got saved. Evidently, I didn't do it right, so I'd go back and pray all over again, try to get saved again. Because I didn't do like they did. Then I'd go to church, somebody said, man, I remember when I got saved, said, man, I just shouted all over the place. Well, I was in, I was in the bed that night when I got saved. If I'd have started shouting, Daddy would have come in there and gave me a whooping that night I got saved. I didn't shout when I got saved. Maybe I'd think, oh, I didn't do it right because I didn't shout, and I'd go back and do it all over again. Then I'd go to church, and somebody said, man, I'll tell you, when I got saved, felt like the weight of the Blue Ridge Mountains just lifted off my shoulder. And I thought, I didn't feel that the night I got saved. Maybe I didn't do it right. i tell you, I was up and down and in and out about whether I'd really been saved or not and if I'd ever done it right and if it was really real in my heart. And then it was a great day when it finally dawned on me in my life that my experience of salvation don't have to match up with somebody else's experience of salvation. You know, there are some people that are very emotional. I mean, they can watch one of these soap operas and just cry and cry and cry. Don't look down. We ain't praying. I know y'all watch that stuff. And uh, they can watch that and just cry and cry. And here's an old boy over here who can peel a whole bag of onions and not shed a tear. We have different emotional makeups. I get that. And if we're not careful... We'll hear about somebody else, how they felt when they got saved. We didn't have the same feelings. And the devil will jump on us and try to make us start doubting whether we were saved or not. 
Listen, there's no wrong way, there's no right way. If you accepted Jesus, you're saved. Feelings, no feelings. You know, one of the greatest experiences in our Bible of salvation would have to be Saul of Tarsus. You talk about an experience. The Bible said he was heading up the road to Damascus when all of a sudden this big old bright light started shining around about it. And then there was a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then for three days he was blind. I don't know about you, but I didn't see a light when I got saved. I didn't hear a voice. God didn't say, Tim, Tim, why persecutest thou me? I went blind for three days after I got saved. So in that case, if my salvation experience has to match up with that, I'm lost because that didn't happen to me. But there's another experience about salvation in the Bible, a man by the name of Matthew. And when old Matthew got saved, and I don't know if we put that verse up there, that Matthew 9 verse, uh, I maybe didn't put it up there. The Bible said Jesus just walked by the receipt of customs. Matthew was sitting there, and he said, Matthew, follow me. And the Bible said he just rose up and followed Jesus. That's how I got saved. No lights, no voices, no blindness. Jesus said, come on. And I come on. I got saved. Listen, it'll be a good day in your life when you try, stop trying to compare what happened to you with what happened to somebody else. There's a behold for that. Let me give it to you. Look at this. 1 John 3 verse 1. Yep. Let me quote it to you. Behold what man, there it is. Behold what manner of love, behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that, sh that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Watch this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Somebody said, there ain't no way that you can know that you're saved till after you die. That's too late. That verse right there says, right now, you can know that you're a son of God. Right now. Behold, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. My sin's gone. My pride's, uh, my pride's gone. My excuses are gone. My sin's gone. My past is gone. My doubts are gone. But we ain't done yet. Because there's another behold that teaches me this, that my cares are gone. Your cares, I'm talking about the things that burden us. I'm talking about the, 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 the things, the needs of our life. There's a good behold from By the way, you have a need tonight? You need for the Lord to do something for you? Look at this behold right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, or what you shall put on, nor yet for your body. For you, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Watch this now. Boom. What's that first word? Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father... Any of y'all ever seen a sparrow sitting on a seat of a John Deere tractor plowing a field? I have yet to see a, a bird out plowing a field anywhere. Who feeds them? God does. Who takes care of them? God. Who gives them enough sense to go south for the winter? God does all that. God takes care of them birds. And the Bible said in that last phrase of that verse, if God cares uh, for them, are we not much better than they? Listen, friend, God's going to take care of our needs. God's going to look after us. You say, preacher, COVID. I get that. I understand that. Everything's COVID's fault. But God is not affected by COVID. 
Can I have an amen? And he takes care of the fowls and he feeds the fowls. And if God does that, God is going to take care. God is going to take care of my cares. All right, so we're done. Watch this now. Wait a minute. So my sin's gone. My, 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 my pride's gone. My excuses are gone. My sin's gone. My past is gone. My doubt's gone. My cares are gone. And there's one final behold. And now I'm gone. <laughs> Look at this one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall, uh, shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be... Now I'm gone. I was in a mess when we started. But by the time this thing's over, I'm out of here. And guess what? You are too. And we learn all of that from the word, behold. Isn't that amazing? I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. So now, I'm gone. And one of these days, you're going to be gone. Russia had their cosmonauts. America had their astronauts. And God has his was-nots. We was and we was not. Because we are gone. And God said all that through the word behold. Covered the entire Christian life in one little word in our Bible the word behold. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you tonight for this great word.